Hello and welcome to Making the Round, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Today's episode is part of our Health IT series from the AMA MSS Committee on Health Information and Technology. My name is Christopher Jackson and I am a medical student at the University of Toledo College of Medicine and I'll be your host for today. Today we are joined by Dr. Shipra Arya, an Associate Professor of Surgery at Stanford and Leader in Frailty Research. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Arya. Thank you for having me. Um, so just to start us off, could you give us an idea of how you're involved in the health IT space um, and what you're currently working on? Sure. Um, I think uh, in the health IT space is so broad and my major focus right now is on telehealth services for surgical patients, especially vascular surgery patients, okay. um, and how we can improve access to care for patients who are living you know, far away um, from healthcare centers, especially in the time of crisis such as COVID, it has really brought telehealth to the forefront um, and trying to, you know, meet patients where they are. Um, that's been most of the focus of my work as, you know, section chief at the Palo Alto VA for vascular surgery, as well as, you know, applying some of the principles of the frailty work uh, that I'm doing. Okay. And what would you say is the impact of your work and have you had any challenges while you're trying to get um, this work completed? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we've learned a lot, especially through the COVID pandemic, um, you know, how uh, telehealth, um, it depends not just on resources and technology that you have, but also, you know, the abilities of your patient population, their comfort with the use of technology, and how do you make it more accessible to patients of all age groups, of all backgrounds, um, and people with disabilities. You know, uh, that's a major part of our patient population and to make sure that uh, our um, push towards telehealth or uh, push towards technology-based care doesn't exclude patients because that even further worsens, you know, the access available to some of our patient population. Uh, and you just touched on this a little bit. Could, could you delve a little bit deeper into how COVID has impacted your work and sure. the changes you're seeing in the hospital? Yeah, you know, as, as a surgeon, you know, it was unthinkable prior to COVID that we would actually provide telehealth services. You know, most of our patients, we would see them in person, uh, we would do our preoperative assessments and even our postoperative visits in person. But COVID has forced us to rethink that, you know, you know do we really need face-to-face visits even for a surgical patient population? And what are the gaps? Uh, what are the specific uh, points of time in their care that we can actually apply telehealth, um, you know, to their care. So uh, with COVID, we um, moved a lot of our initial consultation and triage services and are continuing to do so in a very rapid fashion into a telehealth format, especially for vascular surgery patient population. You know, a lot of them have diseases that could be managed medically. And the first point of interaction with a surgeon is that whether they need surgery or not, or whether there's something we could do non-surgically to actually optimize their health status, improve their quality of life, and try a conservative approach first before we move on to an interventional approach. So that, you know, has been, um, in my mind, uh, a, a big focus for our patient population that, you know, how do we better select patients? who you could, you know, offer surgery to and would meet their needs rather than patients who, you know, could possibly benefit from just a conservative approach first. So that was sort of the first point of triage or intervention that we identified. And then a number of our um, post-operative patients, they are, you know, on on a chronic uh, surveillance regimen because 
vascular disease is a chronic disease. You know, patients who have abdominal aortic aneurysms, patients who have peripheral artery disease, who have cerebrovascular atherosclerotic disease, uh, who have venous disease, they need surveillance to make sure, A, the patency of their interventions is robust. B, if there's any change, you know, do they need further interventions? And C, is there, you know, medical management in terms of uh, their medications that they're supposed to be on, are they optimized? Does that need to be changed? And is that what's driving their, you know, um, uh, change in their health status? So all of that we find that actually could be accomplished with telehealth because the face-to-face -face visit is, um, you know, of, is of great benefit for patients who have wounds, who have incisions, who have, you know, uh, things that we need to evaluate from a physical exam standpoint. But a lot of our surveillance protocols rely on imaging, and imaging uh, doesn't necessarily have to be done on the same day that the patient is here. So we've moved our surveillance protocols to you know, fit the needs of the patient, that they go get their imaging done, their vascular lab studies, non-invasive studies, or their CAT scans done uh, ahead of our visits. And then we just you know, do a video visit or a uh, uh, phone visit to kind of follow up on the results, discuss their symptoms, discuss, you know, how they're doing. And then at each point, there's an assessment that, you know, would the patient prefer to come in and see us if there's been a, you know, change in their health status. But that, you know, saves the patient a visit. We are actually interacting with them in a space that they feel comfortable with. Um, so it, I, I actually really enjoy our telehealth focus now because a lot of the patients, you know, um, especially our veterans, they live uh, far away. And, uh, you know, to avoid them having to drive into the Bay Area and see us, um, it's, it's actually, they enjoy it, we enjoy it. Uh, we get to see some of their family members, their pets on the screen, <laughs> their own, you know, familiar surroundings. So um, I think in my mind, it's more patient-centered on all fronts. I think anything anyone can do to avoid driving into the Bay Area is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, our next question, um, I know you and Dr. Olami you do a lot of work in mobile health, but what do you think the future of mobile health looks like? Um, and what are the major pros and cons? Um, yeah, that you think that's a great question. That? And, you know, my um, collaboration with Dr. Olami has, in fact, educated me and informed me about mobile health applications because he's you know, the director of the Biodesign Mobile Health Technology Platform and Services. Um, I think there's a lot more to be done in the mobile health space. You know, um, beyond telehealth, we need to be able to monitor patients remotely. We need to be able to see, you know, how their um, self-reported symptoms actually corroborate with their actual function and quality of life, which directly ties into some of the work that I'm doing in terms of frailty, especially frailty in the peripheral artery disease population. Um, because a lot of frailty um, phenotype is driven by their function, their ability to carry out their activities of daily living and instrumental activities. And, and those sort of things, self-report, um, is one way of capturing it. But we, we don't know if we start monitoring these patients in a remote health setting, uh, we, would we find you know, that their self-reported function is actually very different than what their actual function is. Um, and uh, patients, especially with um, cognitive impairment or dementia, you know, in their cases, we are relying on caregivers to provide some of this information. And if we could monitor them um, in a way that, uh, you know, could tell us a true measure of the function and the impact, you know, some of the chronic conditions are having on their day-to-day uh, -day life, that could be game-changing. So I do think there's a lot of um, uh, possibility for um, 
you know, function and mobility monitoring uh, remotely. Uh, and it also could help us guide, you know, early interventions, patients. Right now we have protocolized interventions, right? We see patients back at a specific time point. It's not necessarily driven by a change in the patient's health status. It's driven by clinical protocols of, okay, this is where we anticipate the change would happen at six months or a year. But if we, if there was a way to identify early decline, early changes and intervene, you know, at a critical time point, which could make a difference between a patient, you know, keeping their bypass open versus moving on to an amputation, that could be a very significant difference for a patient's um, life. And as a future physician, where do you see the health IT space going in 10 to 15 years when I'll be practicing? <laughs> so I think uh, a lot of uh, patient-generated um, uh, data, I think that's going to be um, uh, driving a lot of our clinical decisions. I mean, we are already seeing some rudimentary ways where that is helpful, where patients upload their pictures of like wounds or, you know, things that they want addressed, um, changes in sort of their health status. Um, but the patient generated data piece is going to change dramatically because the patients we are going to be serving are going to be facile with the use of mobile health technologies, would want to use more of that and avoid, you know, uh, unnecessary health visits and, pro and probably be more, um, you know, uh, they would want healthcare to be delivered at their point of care rather than our in the hospital setting. So I think all of that is going to dr drive health IT um, space a lot. Um, the ability of patients um, to generate sort of patient-generated health data to actually encompass mobility, encompass vitals, you know, blood pressures, heart rates. You know, if we could monitor patients where they are, uh, whether it is through continuous monitoring or through a setup that we send out to them and they, you know, uh, put it on, generate their health data and send that back to us. Um, I think um, all of those things are going to change health IT space a lot. Um, we're already seeing, um, you know, patients um, um, who can be monitored with sort of uh, a Xiopatch-based uh, setup where there's a, instead of a patient having to come in and wear a monitor for monitoring their you know, uh, abnormal heart rhythm, like a heart rate. Now we just send out a, a device to them, which they can, you know, tack onto their uh, body for two weeks and then send that back to us and we can remotely capture that data. Or people are using the, um, you know, something like a Apple Watch to monitor for, you know, changes in their rhythm. So those sort of, you know, um, healthcare data generation uh, and then feedback loop into the healthcare system and the electronic medical record is where things are going to, you know, eventually move to is what I see. Okay. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, there's been a lot of changes, obviously, because of COVID and some of those are going to stick and some of those aren't. Um, which ones do you think are going to have the staying power? Um, I think um, the staying power is always with, um, you know, things that drive um, payment and policies. Uh, I, I think as consumers, if they would see that there's a better way of, you know, getting their health care in a remote, uh, you know, remotely without having to make the visits, being able to do uh, telehealth visits, being able to generate this healthcare data um, uh, and be monitored remotely. And if that's what the consumers, that is the patients, that's what they want, then that is what's going to drive change. So, um, you know, there's still going to be the need for, you know, interventions to be performed on site, uh, you know, certain visits and uh, complete assessments to be performed on site. But 
Um, the lasting change I see is going to be for things that the patients demand and the patient, the consumers want. So, um, you know, we'll see what that uh, hold, holds in the future. So, Dr. Arya, our last question today is how is frailty research and frailty going to be affected by health IT in the future and what do you see as, as the pros and cons? Definitely. I think um, frailty research has a lot of potential for health IT research because measurement of frailty relies on, you know, movement and mobility and strength and all those measures, they don't have to be captured in person. They are things that we could do to sort of capture mobility and, um, uh, you know, walking speed and grip strength and these sort of things where the patients are at. Um, we can also um, monitor patients uh, more effectively, patients who are higher risk, um, if they are at a higher risk for readmissions, higher risk for, you know, complications, you know, a remote patient monitoring could be very useful if we do uh, interventions on these frail patients, their post-operative monitoring could definitely change and have a different phenotype compared to what, you know, robust patients and more mobile patients have. So I think there is, um, you know, opportunities not only in the preoperative assessment phase, uh, in the shared decision-making phase that, you know, whether this is the right approach for the patients from a surgical, I'm talking about a surgical standpoint, I think uh, interventions for frail patients from a medical standpoint would be different. There is um, opportunities for prehabilitation. You know, could we do remote home-based prehab, uh, which includes some exercise regimens, nutritional monitoring, and getting them ready for intervention so that they could have the best possible outcomes. Uh, we have seen some uh, home-based exercise uh, programs work really well for cardiopulmonary-based rehab. So patients who undergo coronary or peripheral interventions, we've actually shown from Palo Alto VA some work done by Dr. Myers and their homework, home-based uh, exercise rehabilitation program that we can effectively achieve the same outcomes for patients, which could be done in inpatient you know, rehabilitation. So that certainly carries a lot of promise for the frail patient population. Could we do prehabilitation as well as post-operative rehabilitation remotely in a home-based setting? And then finally, the post-operative monitoring and identifying, you know, points of um, intervention for these patients to avoid readmissions, to avoid major complications, and to avoid, uh, you know, major declines in functional status or health status. So that remote patient-based monitoring has, you know, potential. So, you know, all of these things are right now a little bit pie in the sky, but they, we know that it's feasible based on all the work that has been done so far. So I think that's where the space within you know, frailty management and geriatric surgery is going to move to in the future uh, with the help of, you know, advancement in health technology. Okay. Um, and finally, where can people at home follow your work if they want to, if they're interested in frailty research or anything that you discussed today? Uh, sure. So I, uh, you know, I um, uh, post a lot of my work on Twitter as well as, um, you know, uh, our university website. All of my publications are you know, available on PubMed as well as, uh, you know, other research outlets. Um, it's, uh, I don't have a web page <laughs> as such, but I'm happy to connect to people in person if they would like to collaborate or, um, you know, I mentor a number of students remotely as well um, uh, because, you know, this is such a burgeoning field and a lot of uh, uh, scope for involvement from a, you know, patient clinician interaction standpoint, from a health IT standpoint, from an outcomes and policy implications standpoint, uh, and also, you know, from a, um, uh, a prehabilitation and uh, um, uh, 
health system-based intervention standpoint. Okay, thank you very much. Well, everyone that's all for today, thank you for listening and thank you for your time today, Dr. Arya. This has been Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Making the Rounds and other great AMA podcasts wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you.